Romans 15. Last week, amongst other things, we saw Paul laying out ministry plans. Remember, he gave a lot of kind of reminders and explanations and so forth. He's winding down the epistle and part of what he laid out were some ministry plans that he hoped to be able to be walking in as he moved on from where he was in Corinth. He was in Corinth when he wrote those there in Romans. And remember, he was there picking up a gift, an offering that had been collected over quite a period of time to be taken to the poor saints in Jerusalem. And then he was hoping from there on his way to Spain to stop and see those there in Rome, to depart a gift to them, spiritual gifts to them, to be helped by them, and then to enjoy fellowship with one another. And so he laid that out, those details. This morning, we're gonna kind of go over that again. I, I know I have Romans 30, verse 33 first, and then that next section is those plans laid out. And we're gonna read that section first and then 30 through 33 here in a second. And we're going to briefly go over those plans again because these do tie together. I, I want to look at a few aspects of those plans. Just touch on them again this morning because last week we spent less time on that than on the first part of the text last week. And especially just kind of touch on being a cheerful giver because a lot of this revolves around that. He was picking up that gift in Corinth that they had cheerfully given for the work of the Lord. And again, is bringing it there to those saints in Jerusalem to help further the gospel there as well as help them in practical needs. And this morning, after laying out those plans, now we see Paul begging them. He says, now I beg you or I beseech you to join with me in this ministry through striving and prayer. And that we're striving, it's a, it's a word of putting great effort in. It's the idea of a military campaign. And we are in a spiritual war and prayer is one of our mighty weapons. And so this morning, we're gonna look at several encouragements and reminders and reasons why we should be striving in prayer together as a church, as well as in our homes and individually in our prayer closets so we're going to look at a lot of aspects of prayer. You might notice it's a, it's a little thicker packet today. And there's a lot of scripture verses there on prayer. And uh, we may not read all those. I might refer to some of those. But I wanted to put that together even for you to take this outline and even have it to go back to, you know, to, to put somewhere where, you know, it, it's, a, it's a Bible study on prayer when you need encouragement in that, a reminder of that and so forth. There's so much in the scripture on prayer. And so we'll look at that and then we'll also look at some specific things Paul was asking them to strive with him in prayer concerning. And it's just, again, I think a way that we can broaden our prayer life. Sometimes people don't go, I don't know how to pray or what to pray for. Well, you look at those prayers in the Bible. You look at where there's prayer requests in the Bible. And that's one of the ways we pray in the Spirit. We pray according to the Scriptures as the Holy Spirit moved upon holy men and penned His holy word. And I think there's some important things for us here to consider in our prayer life as well as, you know, some, some instruction of how to pray uh, concerning certain things, including Paul talking about adversaries 
that were waiting for him there in Judah or in Jerusalem, individuals that were enemies of the cross and they were enemies of Paul. Well, how do we pray for those things? We'll get some insights into that this morning. Now, again, let's read through our text, but let's start there in verse 22. And I want to read 22 through 29. That's the last or second half of what we finished on last week. So you'll see that as the second passage there in the smaller font. And then we'll read 30 through 33 and talk a little bit more about those plans, some details, and then move right in there to verse 30 where he says now. So in other words, with these things said, or I'm laying out these plans, now I'm asking you to pray with me concerning these plans. And here's some specifics I'm asking for you to pray with me concerning these plans. So again, notice there Romans 15, 22. He says, for this reason, and the reason was all the ministry to the Gentiles. He spent so much time ministering to the Gentiles, but he says, for this reason, I also have been much hindered from coming to you. But now no longer having a place in these parts and having uh, a great desire these many years to come to you, whenever I journey to Spain, I shall come to you. For I hope to see you on my journey and to be helped on my way there by you, if first I may enjoy your company for a while. But now I'm going to Jerusalem to minister to the saints, for it pleased those from Macedonia and Acacia to make a certain contribution for the poor among the saints who are in Jerusalem. It pleased them indeed, and they are their debtors. For if the Gentiles have been partakers of their spiritual things, their duty is also to minister them in material things. Therefore, when I have performed this and have sealed to them this fruit, I shall go by way to you, of, of you to Spain. But I know that when I come to you, I shall come in the fullness of the blessing of the gospel of Christ. So he lays out these plans and then notice verse 30 now. So it says, these are the plans, but now I beg you, brethren, through the Lord Jesus Christ and through the love of the Spirit that you strive together with me in prayers to God for me, that I may be delivered from those in Judea who do not believe, and that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints, and that I may come to you with joy by the will of God and may be refreshed together with you. Now the God of peace be with you all amen and he he closes that by again he asked for prayer pray with me and then he prays for them pretty glorious picture so again paul was in corinth when he was pinning this epistle and earlier or about a little over a year ago we were in acts and we saw paul in corinth and his ministry there and again we read those letters to those in corinth and it's beautiful how scripture fills in with scripture and just paints this beautiful picture of everything that was going on again he was there in corinth and he was there at this point picking up a gift that they had been putting aside for quite some time that he had instructed them to collect over a period of time because he said i don't want to show up and then have to collect this so you guys start doing this ahead of time so he could take that gift to those saints that were in Jerusalem. And remember, these in Corinth and in Acacia and uh, uh, Macedonia, Corinth is in Acacia, they had been blessed by those in Jerusalem. 
Remember, the saints there in Jerusalem were the first believers. And they're the ones that had sent out missionaries. They're the ones that had sent out pastors. They're the ones that had brought discipleship even after they brought the gospel to those in Corinth. And he's saying, you're, you're indebted to them. Look, at you, you need to help them with their material needs because they helped you with the far more important spiritual needs. I mean, what's it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? That's a wasted life. They brought the gospel to you and it was their aim and there was a lot of effort in that. There was, you know what, a lot of, uh, you know what, energy put into that sort of speak. They sacrificed of things in their own life to serve the Lord and to meet you where you were with the gospel. Now you get to bless them back and helping them practically. In fact, we'll look here in 2 Corinthians in a minute where Paul is even encouraging them in that gift and talking about the blessings that come to them through helping with those material needs. But there in 1 Corinthians 16, 1, we see where he first gave this instruction to them. And I, I want to touch on these and just point out a few things here. Uh, some encouragements for us in this area. I think it's important that, you know what, we know God's heart and mind for us when it comes to stewardship when it comes to tithes and offerings, when it comes to helping those in need. There's great encouragements here for us. And we'll see in a second as we'll just move on soon here to him asking for prayer, that this is an area that God even tells us to try him in. Test me in this area of giving to me and giving to the ministry of your first fruits and watch me open up heaven and bless you. It's also an area that he says, as believers, if we don't want to walk in these things, that absolutely there's going to be a quenching of the Spirit of God in our lives. There's going to be, you know what, um, a, a lack of, of confidence or even abundance that comes from putting our confidence in the Lord, saying this all belongs to God and I, I want to worship him with these things through being obedient in these areas of ministering with finances and these practical things that God has given to me. So notice there in 1 Corinthians 16, 1, he says, now concerning the collection for the saints, as I have been given orders, as I have given orders to the churches in Galatia, so you must do also on the first day of the week, let each one of you lay something aside, storing up, notice here, as he may prosper, that there be no collections when I come, and when I come, whomever you approve by your letters, I will send to bear your gift to Jerusalem, for it is fitting that I go also, for if it is fitting that I go also, they will go with me. And he's talking about accountability here. Again, you choose who you want to take that gift, so there's an accountability, and if I need to go along too for added accountability, I'll do that. And I'll tell you when it comes to church finances and missions finances and so forth accountability is a huge thing just a little side note here in these things man too many days you know too many times nowadays we're we're hearing about even embezzlements in churches and you hear about mega churches where they they do uh uh, uh you know what they're doing some addition and there was one recently where they open up a wall and there was hundreds of thousands of dollars that someone had been stuffing in a wall. I don't know if you guys heard about that. I probably shouldn't even call that place a church because he really didn't preach the gospel at it, but that's neither here nor there really. I can tell you this is our fellowship. 
we strive to really have accountability in that area. You know what? We have two people or three people always take the finances out together and then two people count it together. And every year we do an, uh, an audit stamped by a CPA. And we try to be transparent in those things that, you know, if you tithe and give offerings here, absolutely. You know, you have access to those things and ask questions and so forth. And God blesses that. Accountability is a, a huge thing. And so even in this giving, Paul throws that out there. And I just throw that as a side note. But notice as well in here, some of these words he uses. He says, I have given them an order to do these things. Um, that, that they've been ordered to put something aside. At one point he says, I give them a command to do these things. Uh, it's a duty. He says it's their duty. It's an order that they minister to those that have ministered to them. Again, it's a command that's been given by the Lord. And we need to understand that because I think a lot of times people think about giving to the Lord. Well, that's just optional. And, and it is in a way. I mean, we have freedom in the Lord. We're not under a law, but there is the law of liberty. And the Bible talks about the law of liberty that I'm liberated through Jesus, my Lord, and Jesus, my Lord, gives me laws or commands and instructions. And if I'm in that liberty, I'm gonna follow those. I wanna make it my aim to follow those because he is my Lord. And I'll tell you the things the Lord puts before us and calls us to, they're never to take away from our life. They always bring glory to God and they bring blessings to us and they help our light shine brightly in a dark world. So again, he gives that order. He gives a command concerning these things. But here's the thing with this. And we touched on this last week. God does not want us to ever give begrudgingly or out of a necessity. Oh, they're making me give. Or, oh, I'm gonna give, but I'm not gonna do it cheerfully. God doesn't even receive that. He loves a cheerful giver. And really, as believers in the Lord, why wouldn't we give cheerfully when we know the Lord laid down his life? He gave all for us to start with. Everything we have, make no mistake, every good and perfect gift from the Father of lights above, the clothing on our back, the gathering in this place, the homes we go to, the meals we eat, all of those things are gifts from God and ultimately they belong to God. And we have the privilege to give to the Lord of our first fruits and take the things we have and make it our aim to use them as God would want us to for his glory. That's a cheerful thing, is it not? And even giving of those first fruits, it is an act of worship. It's an act of, again, offering sacrifice. We bring a sacrifice of praise. Is it really a sacrifice if nothing's being sacrificed? <laughs> That's not a sacrifice at all. And again, the Lord laid down and sacrificed his life for us. He loves a cheerful giver. Notice there in 2 Corinthians 9, 6, but this I say, he who sows sparingly will reap sparingly, he who sows bountifully will reap bountifully. So let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, we just touched on that. Then notice what it says, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound towards you, that you always having all sufficiency in all things may have, notice here, 
an abundance for every good work. At his written, he has dispersed abroad. He has given uh, to the poor his righteousness endures forever. Verse 10, now may he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food supply and multiply the seed you have sown and increase the fruits of your righteousness while you are enriched in everything for all liberality which causes notice here thanksgiving through through us to god and so again we see a command given we see an order given he says this is a duty but again he loves a cheerful giver in these things he wants us to give by faith again god doesn't need what you have you need to know that god's not like boy if so and so would just tie then that church would really no that's all belong god owns the cattle on a thousand hills that means he owns all the cattle and all the hills and the gold and silver look at it's all his god always makes a way god's not up there saying you know just just uh you know if if they could get going now he wants us to that again it would abound in us and that we would learn the joy of worshiping the lord in that area and that's what he that's what he enjoys when we joyfully and cheerfully give out of worship and so forth and notice in this as well though the words where we first read there in 16 and i know there's kind of three passages here and i'm kind of bouncing through them um in verse 2 of 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 first corinthians 16 you know he's talking about laying these things aside the first day of the week lay this offering aside that he says that he may prosper and look at i know there's great abuses when it comes to giving in the church there's liars there's the name it and claim it blab it and grab it you know the health and the wealth and i think there's nothing wrong with praying for good health john talks about that i'm praying that you prosper in good health everyone wants that right but this idea of manipulating god so that i'm you know this this ultra rich person or even pastors manipulating people in a pyramid scheme give this and you get it's it's the bible talks about these liars that come into the church especially in the last days but here's the thing here's the thing they're taking a truth and manipulating and warping it for you know a selfish gain which i can't even think about the horror of standing before god on judgment day as one of those pastors but listen that doesn't take away from the truth of the blessing that comes from giving to the lord and one of the ways satan oftentimes works is biblical principles that are given he'll take those things and manipulate the people either walk in that manipulation not for their benefit and they say well i just worship god for everything i can get materially that's wrong or it will turn other people to say well because that's so manipulated we're not even going to talk about that or that's really not for us and it's like the devil gets a double win in it we can never fall into that place we want to look at scripture for what it says and he says give that you may prosper he says here he who sows sparingly will reap sparingly he who sows bountifully will reap bountifully guys this is new testament verses here a lot of people say well that's just old testament stuff you know the old testament you gave unto the lord but in the new testament we don't i I never understand where that thinking comes from or that logic because did not jesus and i got it here in the notes say seek first the kingdom of god and all his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you how are you seeking first the kingdom of god if you don't give of your first fruits (laughs) there's a problem there 
especially when the context of that is God talking about natural provisions, being provided for with things that normally we spend money on. He says, seek me first, and then you can just rest. I'll provide for you. We'll partner in this. Isn't it a glorious thing to have Jesus partnering with you in your finances? I can't think of a better partner in the world than that. So what are some of the ways we prosper in giving unto the Lord? Again, real quick, there you're in your notes. He talks there in 2 Corinthians 9.10 about increased fruits of righteousness. That's the first prosperity and the greatest. Fruits of righteousness. Fruits of righteousness are the fruits of the Holy Spirit that we read about in Galatians. Increased love and patience and joy all those things gentleness and kindness those glorious things look at those things abound because we're walking and clinging to what is good versus grieving the spirit of god look at make no mistake when we're just stingy with what we have and we say we're not going to give unto the lord that's a grieving of the spirit of god we see these commands and orders throughout the scripture. Again, God wants us to give cheerfully. He wants to give us faith. But we see with us part of this prosperity is increased fruits of righteousness. And there's nothing more valuable than that. Secondly, again, there's that confidence to know God's going to supply all my practical needs. Again, just quoted the verse there in 633 of Matthew. Jesus said this. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. All these things will be added unto you. He doesn't say except in times of recession and depression. He doesn't say that. Again, we read there in 2 Corinthians 9, 6. He who sows sparingly will reap sparingly. He who sows bountifully will reap bountifully. That's an encouragement to know I'm in God's economy. I can rest in the Lord. God's going to supply my need. If I need a lot, God's going to supply it. If I just need a little, God's going to supply it. He knows what I need. And I'll tell you, he's looking for good stewards that he can trust with what he wants to pour out to be used for his glory. Also in this, listen, there is a earthly blessing of the knowledge of I'm in God's economy. But even greater than that in giving of our first fruits, it's another one of the ways we store up treasure in heaven. We talked a lot about this last Wednesday, and it's interesting how we've kind of been, we've touched on these on Wednesday and Sundays, just where we are in the scripture. Where if you looked at the new heaven and a new earth, and that all these other things will pass away, they're preserved for fire. But what we do unto the Lord will come through that fire, be part of our crowns that we put at the feet of the Lord to worship him. And the Lord even says there in Matthew 6, 20, lay up for yourself treasure in heaven. And he talks about where it can't be stolen. It can't be destroyed. And then lastly, listen, and there's a lot more in this, but there's, again, the prosperity of fruits of righteousness, the prosperity of knowing God's gonna supply all my needs, the prosperity of knowing there's treasures that are being laid up in heaven. And then also, look, at there's the prosperity of knowing that God's gonna provide more seed for me to sow. God's gonna supply, he's gonna refill these barns so what's in these barns can be taken and used for his glory. Notice there, again, 2 Corinthians, uh, where are we at? 
2 Corinthians 9, 10. Now may he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food supply and multiply the seed which you have sown and increase the fruits of your righteousness. So again, he says, give, I'm gonna give you more. In fact, he's saying, where can I find some faithful stewards that I can pour seed out on them because I know they're gonna distribute those things in the right way. And then again, I referred to this as we ventured into this kind of subject matter this thought notice there malachi 3 8 he says will a man rob god yet you have robbed me but you say in what way have we robbed you and he says in tithes and offerings for you are cursed with a curse for you have robbed me even this whole nation and then he says bring the tithes in the storehouse that there may be found food in my house and try me now in this says the lord of hosts if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such blessing that there will be not room enough to receive it. So God says, test me, try me. And Pastor Steve's not saying test me. He's saying, God's saying test me and try me. And so, you know, we, we, we're in a generous fellowship here. I'm not up here teaching on this this morning. because we gotta, we gotta stir up the given here. Now, if it needs to be stirred up, Lord, you stir up what needs to be stirred up. Because I've shared many times, as a senior pastor, I don't know who gives what here. Sometimes I hear things, and I'm like, well, I guess maybe I need to hear that. Maybe not, I don't know. But God knows, ultimately. And that, that helps me just, I think, move in a, in, a, in a better way that I'm not tempted to get in my flesh when it comes to those things. But look at, I bring these things for your sake. Because Paul talked to those in, in Philippi about giving, and he says, look at, You've given to my ministry and it's a blessing and I'm encouraging you to continue to give and he says that something may be put on your account. And Paul's concern was for them and their life. When you stand before the Lord, will there be anything on your account or will it all be null and void because you didn't want to walk in good stewardship? So I would encourage you, look at those of you that, that, that practice these things, be encouraging them this morning. I'll tell you again, I, I just rejoice because I have seen God's faithfulness in these things for years and years and years and years and years and years. And in my home, we don't even think twice about this. It's always the Lord first and it is a blessed, I, I, I love, I love worshiping God in that way. And I don't wanna get too deep into that because the Bible says, don't let your right hand know what your left's doing. But I, I just wanna bear witness to the glory of God. God is faithful in these things through thick and thin, through ups and downs or whatever's going on out there. He goes before his people. And those of you this morning that maybe this is a new subject matter, Maybe this is something God's been pressing on your heart. The Lord says, try me in this. And I'd encourage you to joyfully take the Lord up on that offer. And if you're begrudging in that, or you just know, well, I'm Joe Stingy over here. I worship this stuff for whatever reason. I need more faith. Then listen, ask God to deal with that in your heart. And then even start with small steps of faith in it. So again, this is scripture. We teach the Bible here. We teach the word of God, all of it. And we bring it forward here. So notice here, with that, he says, now I beg you. The word beg, it means to beseech, to urge, to call for, to exhort, to invite. And he's begging for them to pray with him in these things. 
Again, Paul's laying out plans that he said he hopes to walk in. And now he says, come and pray for me in these things. Paul knew the key to ministry. The key to going forward is always to first get on our knees and have others come alongside and pray for us. Paul knew that prayer was not a small matter. Do you know that this morning? Do you think a prayer is a small matter? Or do you understand the awesomeness of prayer? Paul knew this firsthand in his life. I'm not going to read all of these texts here. But remember when Paul first got saved, he was blinded. And he was directed to a place where a man named Ananias came in and laid hands on him and prayed for him. And the scales fell from his eyes and he was filled with the Holy Spirit. And that came through the laying on hands of prayer. Paul knew the power of prayer right when he got born again even. I think of Paul and Silas who were in prison for preaching the gospel. And we read there in Acts 16.25, what did they do at midnight when basically a death sentence was on them? They began to worship God and sing hymns. They cried out to God in prayer. And we see those shackles were loose. We see later on, and there's so many examples, at the end of Acts, Paul is on an island with native folks there, the island of Malta that were foreign to the God of heaven. They didn't know of him. And Paul's there being a witness. And we read about the chief of this island coming with a sickness and Paul going in and laying hands on him and praying for him and the man being healed and many coming to the Lord and giving an opportunity for Paul. He knew the power of prayer. And listen, Paul knew the power of prayer. You know why? Because he let people pray for him and he prayed for them. (laughs) No doubt he knew it from the scripture as well. But listen, God wants us not just to be hearers of the word, but doers. And yes, reading, getting God's word in our heart builds our faith, but then we need to act on that faith, and then that faith is multiplied as we move forward in the Lord. Again, Paul knew prayer was powerful. He knew it wasn't a small matter, yet so many, I believe personally, think prayer is a small matter. And that's usually evidence in their prayer life. I encourage you this morning to gut check yourself. Do you see prayer as a small matter? And don't base it on, you know what, well, I agree with this being said, I agree with that. You can test yourself in this by your prayer life. That's the way you, rubber's got to hit the road somewhere, right? I mean, we're going to see here in a second of of all the glorious things that unfold with prayer. And so if we're not praying, obviously it's it's a small matter or we're not really receiving this invitation and approaching this as God lays it out. I I just think it's seen in, I'm, I'm a realist in our prayer life. Is prayer a priority in your life? Is praying with others a priority in your life? Or is it something where I'm so busy, I don't got time to pray. We'll pray and you'll have more time to do what you need to do. It always works that way. It always works that way. Prayer is not optional. Prayer is essential. We're called to it over and over, over in the word. Romans 12, 2, continue steadfastly in prayer. Luke 21, 36, watch therefore and pray always. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16, pray without ceasing. He says, this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Ephesians 6, 18, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit. Colossians 4.2, continue earnestly in prayer, being vigilant in it with thanksgiving. 1 Peter 4.7, the end of all things is at hand, therefore be serious and watchful in your prayers. Do I need to keep going? Well, I'm going to. We look at the life of Jesus. 
Jesus is our example. Luke 5, 16, so he himself often withdrew into the wilderness and prayed. Matthew 14, 23, and when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. And when evening came, he was there alone. Mark 1, 35, in the morning, we read that, in the morning. He says, in the morning, having risen a long while before daylight, he went out and departed to a solitary place, and there he prayed. Luke 6, 12, now it came to pass in those days that he went out to the mountain to pray and continued all night in prayer to God. We are instructed to pray. Can we say amen to that? And listen, prayer to God is effective. We can't say that about a lot of things, but prayer to God is effective. Encouragements in this Jesus said in Matthew 7, 7, ask, it will be given to you. Seek, and you'll find. Knock, and it will be open to you. Everyone who asks, receives. He who seeks, find. To him who knocks, it will be open. Notice what Jesus said in John 14, 12. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me. Do you believe in him today? Can you say amen to that? He who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than these he will do because I go to my Father. Look at this is for us today. He says, whatever you ask, notice the key in my name. So we're praying scripturally, spirit-led, that I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. Notice James 5, 16. You know I was going there. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Look at our righteousness is in Christ Jesus. And he's talking about fervent prayer here. He's not talking about, I just get and I repeat the same thing with really my mind's over here and I'm just repeating. A fervent prayer means I am calling out to God. God hears me. Lord, we need your help. Lord, we give you praise. Lord, come and work and move in our midst. We need you, God. It's prayer with some unction. It's prayer with some Holy Spirit fire. It's prayer according to God's word. It's prayer putting my flesh down and saying, I want to pray as Jesus prays. I want to pray according to the word. I want to pray like Elijah prayed as he says next. Elijah has a nature like ours there in James. And he called out to God that it wouldn't rain and wouldn't rain for three and a half years. We're like, is Elijah in California now? No, he prayed that because Israel was in rebellion. And God said, if you're in rebellion, I'm going to bring a drought to get hold of you that I can bring a revival. And then a revival broke open on Mount Carmel. Don't got time to go through that. And then it says he prayed that it would rain. And he prayed fervently. Seven times he prayed. Then they saw a cloud, a cloud the size of a hand. He says, okay, the prayers have been answered. And it rained and rained and rained and rained and rained. I think of Luke 18, 1, where the Lord, it says, spoke a parable to them that men ought to always pray and not lose heart. And then he gives a parable of a widow who goes to a judge who doesn't fear God nor men, but this judge is the only one that can help her with her practical needs. And she just pesters him and pesters him and pesters him until he finally gives her what she needs. Now, this is called a pester God in prayer kind of but listen the main point of it was she knew the judge was the only one who could help her and i'll tell you ultimately god's the only one that can help us and so i'm going to seek god i'm going to pursue god i'm going to go to god yes god oftentimes works through people and circumstances but ultimately it's god who supplies the need he says to them brothers again he says i beg you brethren through the lord jesus christ paul appeals to them as family 
Again, he's begging them, come pray with me. This is not a small matter. This is a big deal. The apostle Paul is begging them. Brethren, he appeals to them as family. When you get saved, you get adopted into the family of God. Is not the blood of Jesus thicker than the blood of Adam? Brothers and sisters in Christ, we have a large family. And absolutely, family helps one another and family prays for one another, amen? So again, we're called to pray. We are called to pray for one another, recognizing we're brothers and sisters in the Lord. I just pray we would grow deeper in our understanding of that. I I, I really pray for that. And then he says, brother, through the Lord Jesus. And this is kind of a twofold meaning. Through the Lord Jesus, we pray. Again, Ephesians 2, 18, through him, we have both access by one spirit to the Father. When Christ died on the cross and said it was finished, that veil that separated the people from the Holy of Holies was ripped in two. We know we can go boldly to the Father. How? Through the Lord Jesus Christ. It is God's will we would come through Jesus to him often and continually and always. This also, though, can imply for the Lord Jesus' sake. Again, New King James, through the Lord Jesus. King James, for the Lord Jesus' sake. So he says, I beg you, pray for me through the Lord, but also for the Lord. Again, what is our aim here on earth? I love 2 Corinthians 5, 9, therefore we make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be pleasing to him. Where we say, I'm going to pray for the sake of the Lord, for the glory of God, to see the kingdom of God advance, the gospel go forward, the body of Jesus built up and sinners saved. Then he says, through the love of the Spirit. What would the opposite of that be? Through the selfishness of the flesh. I think of James 4, 2, it says, you lust and do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight in war. Then he says, yet you do not have because you do not ask. We're called to ask, but notice what he says next. You ask and do not receive because you ask amiss that you may spend it on your own pleasure. We're not talking this morning about flesh-driven prayers, lust-driven prayers, where it's like I go before God, Lord, I need that bag of money. Oh, Lord, it's not because, you know, the rent's due, and Lord, I I need to pay my rent. Lord, I want to walk in the pleasures and the luxuries that the world seeks after, so I'm coming for it, God. No, we're not talking about that. We're not talking about, you know, the guy on the sitcom who sees the, 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 the girl walk by. Oh, God, if you're there, let me, you know. It's not, none of that nonsense. Fleshly prayers, or even those prayers that seem spiritual that we really know are about advancing us, we're probably more familiar with those. We need to be honest with God in that. He says, no. Not through the flesh, but through the love of the Spirit. We're called to pray in the Spirit, which means a biblical truth and with biblical love. Notice there in talking of spiritual warfare in Ephesians 6 and verse 17, he says, and take up the helmet of salvation. And notice the sword of the Spirit. That's the word of God. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. So I want to pray biblical prayers And I want to go in prayer and say, Lord, lead me by your spirit. 
press on me, what would you have me to pray for? Lay people on my heart. Lay situations. Let me lay my burdens at your feet, my concerns before you give you praise. Those are spirit-led prayers. I'll tell you, it's awesome when you're in a prayer meeting, and this happens in almost every church prayer meeting I go to. I go to two a week. I go to Sunday morning prayer. I go to Thursday prayer. Unless something comes up, you know what? I had to go to my son's graduation last week but normally always there and almost every single week it happens i'll pray and then i'm sitting there and i start thinking we need to pray for this pray for that and then that gets covered there and that gets covered there and afterwards they're like man i was going to pray for that and you cover that that's the spirit of god moving we want to pray in the spirit and then he says strive together with me again in prayer i'll tell you our flesh doesn't want us to pray the devil doesn't want us to pray. Here's a flesh-driven prayer meeting. Hey, we're going to pray for an hour, and then we talk and chit-chat for 55 minutes, and then we get a little five-minute prayer in there. God wants us to be praying together, striving together. He says, strive together with me. The word strive, hear this. It means make great efforts to achieve, struggle to achieve, fight vigorously. Sometimes you've got to fight to get to prayer meetings you got to fight to get to your prayer closet. And then you get on your knees and you struggle before the Lord. Did not Jacob do that all night with God, wrestling with him? Think about Moses as there was a battle down in the valley. He struggled to keep his hands up. Two came alongside to keep his hands up. The victory was won in prayer on the mountain, not in the battle below. I think about Daniel. He fought his government to pray. They said, you can't pray. He said, I'm going to pray anyway. He fought the devil, remember, as he prayed and it took some, I think it was 21 days to get his answer because he was fighting in the heavenlies. We looked at Jesus all the times he would pray. The Lord had to fight through the crowds and the busy schedules. You think you have a busy schedule? People thronged at Jesus everywhere he went and yet he said, I'm gonna strive to pray. I'm gonna go pray. Paul and Silas, again, we read of them. They fought despair and hopelessness, no doubt, as they were sentenced to die and they said, we're gonna pray though. And here's the thing. He says, strive together with me in prayers to who? To God. <laughs> Let's remember this about prayer. We pray to God. I say it all the time. It's not my prayers that make an impact. It's God who I'm praying to. We're praying to God. Notice what Jesus said in Matthew 9, 26. With men, this is impossible. With God, all things are possible. That's who we're crying out to. All things are possible with him. Jeremiah 32, 7. Oh, Lord God, behold, you made the heavens and the earth by your great power and outstretched arms. There is nothing too hard for you. Did you hear that today? There's nothing too hard for God. And Isaiah 40, 28. Have you not known, have you not heard the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, neither faints nor is weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He never gets weary. All things are possible. And then he invites us. Matthew eleven twenty eight. come to me, all who labor and heavy laden, I'll give you rest. First Peter 5, 7, cast, notice, not some of your cares or the big cares, casting all your cares upon him, for he cares for you all your cares, all of them. And then listen to these great encouragements. Second Chronicles 16, 9, the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth. Notice to do what? To show himself strong on behalf of those whose hearts are loyal to him. And a heart loyal to the Lord will be seen as a heart absolutely striving after God in prayer. 
Hebrews 11:6. but without faith, it's impossible to please him. For who comes to God must believe that he is and is a rewarder, notice, of those who, who does he reward those who do what? Diligently seek him. If we have no prayer life or it's null and void or it's just a few scraps, how are we diligently seeking? When he says, I am God Almighty, there's nothing too hard for me. I never faint, I never grow weary. I'm on the throne. And so he says here, striving in prayers to God for me. So really he's asking them to pray with him and he's asking them to pray for him. Hear this, Paul prayed for himself. Jesus prayed for himself. We too need to pray for ourselves. Every once in a while I hear someone say, I never pray for myself. I only pray for others. And I would ask, where does that strength and direction to pray for others come from? From yourself as well? Or from you first crying out to God, God, I need you. (laughs) I'm a wretch. Paul, wretched man that I am. It's a prayer who will set me from this body of death. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord or David's prayer. There is Psalm 139, 23. Search me, O God, and know me. Try me and know my anxieties. See if there's any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Or the Lord there in the garden of Gethsemane where it says that, that, that his soul's being pressed down and he goes and cries out again to the Lord and he asks the disciples again to come and pray with him. Come and pray with me. Paul asked for prayer, or Paul prayed, and he often asked others to pray for him. Again, notice there, 1 Thessalonians 5.25, brethren, pray for us. 2 Corinthians 1.11, in prayer for us. Ephesians 6.19, pray for me. Colossians 4.3, meanwhile, praying also for us. Philippians 1.19, through your prayer. 2 Thessalonians 3.1, finally, brethren, pray for us. Uh, Philemon 22, but meanwhile, also prepare a guest room for me, for I trust that through your prayers I shall be granted to you. Hebrews 13, 18, pray for us. He was willing to say, hey, come pray for me. Pray for me. He wasn't ashamed. Pray for me. It always saddens my heart when I hear people that have been going through things and they didn't want to tell anyone. Well, I didn't want anyone to know. Granted, there might be some things that need to be more private, but I'll hear about someone that, that's had cancer for a few years and they haven't asked anyone to pray for them. Where is that coming from? Is that coming from God? I don't think that it is. Well, I don't want anyone to worry. Well, I think they might worry less if we lay hands on you and the Lord touches you. And we can know, look at, they're going through it, but we're praying with them and we're standing with them. We're standing together in the Lord. Don't be shy about asking for prayer. If you need prayer, you see Pastor Stephen, I'll pray for you. Pastor Ron will pray for you. And I believe others in this church, I see it all the time, will pray for you. But sometimes we gotta say, hey, like Paul said, come pray for me, guys. This is the Apostle Paul. And over and over again, pray for me, pray for me, pray for me. These are even the people that he's like, you guys need to get this straight and that straight and that straight. And by the way, pray for me. And that's really us. We throw things out of order, but God's on the throne and we're saved. And there's power in the prayers of his saints. And then verse 31. Oh my goodness. Verse 31. That I may be delivered from those in Judea who do not believe. 
Listen, we have enemies. If you're gonna follow the Lord, they're gonna be there. Spiritual enemies, oh, it's a spiritual word, it is. Yes, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but there is flesh and blood that are enemies of the cross of Calvary. Paul says, pray I'll be delivered from them. There were a lot in Judea that wanted to get Paul. We need to pray for deliverance from those enemies. We also know in Luke 6, 27, we pray the Lord blesses those enemies. And we can also pray in 2 Timothy 4, 15, Lord, contend with those enemies. I commit them to you. Lord, you repay them. I'm stepping out of it. And then how about this? Psalm 68, 1, God arise and let your enemies be scattered. And then he says, so he says, pray for me for the deliverance from my enemies. And then he says that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints. Paul had a rocky relationship with some of those in Jerusalem, believe it or not. Paul's the one that took the gospel of the Gentiles. Paul had the faith to say, it's not through Judaism or the law, it's straight through Jesus. Those in Jerusalem, some of them were still getting over that. And so he says, pray that my service will be acceptable, that I can go there and be an effective minister, especially, look, it's implied with those that are at odds with me. Paul didn't hide, he didn't avoid, he didn't get angry, he didn't attack those that were at odds with him. He prayed and he asked for prayer and he did it in a manner that was not gossip-based. Notice 32, that I may come to you with joy by the will of God. Paul wanted to show up in the joy of the Lord. Let's make it our aim to show up in the joy of the Lord. Whether you're hanging out with your best buddy, your family, coming to church, going to the store, maybe going to the gas station with high cost, the DMV with a long line, to court with who knows whatever's gonna happen, to work, to make it our aim to go in the joy of the Lord. The joy of the Lord is our strength. And Proverbs 17, 22, a merry heart does good like medicine, but a broken spirit dries bones. There's enough dry bones out there. We need to move in the joy of the Lord. And then he says, by the will of God. And we talked about this last week. Paul laid out a lot of plans. He said, I hope, but he said, I'm gonna do this, do that. And now he's asking for prayer. And he says, look, I want it all by the will of God. And we read this there in James 4, 13, where he says, you know, you make these plans, but that's wicked. It should be if the Lord wills. And in our prayers, Lord, just let your will be done. I'm gonna bring this all before you, but Lord, ultimately your will is better than mine. In fact, we are taught to pray that way. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. And then he says here, we're almost done. I'm doing speed preaching. (laughs) And may be refreshed together with you. So I wanna come to you in the joy of the Lord. And then I wanna come and I want it to be a refreshing time. Interesting, in Paul's first letter to those in Corinth, he says, your coming together is not for the better, but for the worse. That's a bad commentary on church service. I compare this to Acts 4.23, when they're being persecuted there earlier in the chapter. And in verse 24, it says, they heard of this persecution and they came together and they worshiped God in one accord. In verse 31, it says, the Holy Spirit was poured out on them. And I'll tell you, refreshment comes from the Holy Spirit And then they went out with boldness. It's important we're praying for these things, lifting these things up with so many other things. The main thing we're praying. And then notice how he closes this. Now may the God of peace be with you all, amen. He asks them for prayer and then he prays for them. This is a prayer. 
May the God of peace be with you all. Amen. Again, Paul prayed for others all the time. You see it in all his epistles. Romans 1.19, I pray for you without ceasing. Ephesians 1.16, I do not cease to give thanks, making mention of you in my prayers. 1 Thessalonians 1.2, always for you, always making mention of you of my prayers. Philemon 4, I thank my God, making mention of you always in my prayers. And look at, this is what Jesus does for us. Hebrews 7.25, he always lives to make intercession for them. And then he prays the peace of God will be with them. Again, the Lord's left us his peace, but there's times we don't walk in that peace and oftentimes it's not there. You know why? Because we're not praying. Philippians 4, 6, be anxious for nothing, but in everything, notice everything, not some things, not the big things, in everything by prayer and supplication. And this is huge with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God and notice the peace of God. Are you ready for this? that surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. He says, amen. We say amen. Let's stand up and close in prayer. You guys didn't know I had another gear, right? They got that turbo installed this week. Heavenly Father, we bless you and praise you, Lord. We just thank you that you're so good. Oh, Jesus, I thank you that you live to make intercession for us. Help us to abound in faith, to abound in prayer, to take these things, consider them. God, to walk in them. Help us in these things, God. If you're here and you haven't called upon the Lord, we're sinners that separates us from God. Jesus died for our sins on the cross. We talked about in communion. He rose from the grave that whoever calls on his name will be forgiven and washed, made anew in the Lord and have eternal life. Call on him if you have not. And Lord, bless us in these areas we've looked at today. Help us in these areas and let us finish well, God. And Lord, praying to you, worshiping you in song, which is God sung to you. So help us to finish well here. Let's pray. Lord, let's, let's close in praise to the Lord.
Amen. Well, God bless you. I pray you have a wonderful day in the Lord Jesus Christ.